0: Mr. Harry Shearer, yes, sir. welcome to the Green Room
1: Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for coming by. Oh, here comes the water. The now. water's here. The service <laughs> here is impeccable.
0: The whole intro is ruined now. Yeah. Uh, Harry, yeah, welcome, welcome to Australia thank again. You. Uh, thank you for coming on the podcast. Really thank appreciate you. your
1: time. Tell me,
0: last weekend you did the Port Fairy Folk Festival in Victoria.
1: I was the bass player for my wife, who mm-hmm. was the artist there. Yes. Yeah how how was uh, how was that experience? Yeah, that was fantastic. You know i I have to say. We are sitting up in uh, L.A. or New Orleans when we first heard about it. And I thought, sounds a bit twee, Port Ferry Folk Festival. Doesn't really sound like Judith, who's a pretty funky woman. Um, But it turned out to be great. I mean, it it turns out to be a really uh, wonderful festival, a lot of musical variety, uh, big stages, you know, crowds were great. Uh, So it it couldn't have been better.
0: Do you get a lot of you time? When you're there, or is it very much YouTube business? time? You time. Harry Shearer time. Harry, it's Harry <laughs> Shearer time.
1: Well, uh, by necessity, I had to co- sort of complete my radio show. So I was holed up in the uh, in, our, in our rooms uh, in know, lovely little uh, uh, B&B. Not an Airbnb. A real B&B uh, <laughs> for some time. Uh, but yeah, we got the chance to wander around, have some really good food. Uh, one of the things I, I've, from the very first time I came here, which is quite a while now, uh, I've been impressed with is the food in Australia. You know, it's
0: specifically like, what?
1: Well, the fact that it's people take it seriously. There's some really good cooking here. Uh, the influence of, first of all, the Italians and the Greeks, and then the Asians that came in, and you know, the the melange that's resulted. Uh, In London, you know, they were late to discover that food was supposed to be enjoyed. And uh, a lot of the chefs in London that have uh, not been the celebrity chefs, but the real ones, have been Aussies that have gone up there.
0: Any particular dishes?
1: Just the the treatment of seafood. I hadn't had uh, Morton Bay bugs until I'd come down here the first time. Uh, I'm a true... I fell in love with Tazzy Salmon um, when we were, Chris Guest and I were down here. I think this was the first time I came down here. We were uh, presenters at the Arias as Nigel and uh, Derek.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And we, what year was that?
1: Uh, 463 AD. <laughs> um, and uh, no, I think it was 92 or 93. Okay. So I was two. Really, I'm um, yeah. 19, You're looking good. Yeah, thank you. Uh, and then uh, we finished presenting and went backstage and s- just started nailing the food and went. What's this wonderful salmon? Oh, that's Tassie salmon. And went, yeah, and the, uh, a couple of restaurants in New Orleans started importing salmon from Tasmania uh, to use on their dishes uh, uh, on their plates, and it's uh, really was quite an amazing thing because just a lot of great salmon in America, but this was superb. So, um, yeah, just really enjoy the fact that food and coffee and wine and other things mm. are, are taken seriously here.
0: You were fortunate enough as well. You presented two screenings of the 2003 film A Mighty Wind. Mm. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is it true that you hadn't watched that film since filming up until Port Ferry?
1: Well, I didn't watch it in Port Ferry either. Oh, you didn't? No. Uh, n- let's see. Did I? I I'm sure I s- saw it at a screening after it was finished. Uh, but then we went on tour as the bands from a Mighty Wind. Yeah. And so I saw much more of that than I did of the film. Um, no, I haven't seen it since then. I don't tend to watch stuff I'm in. Ever? Yeah. Yeah. Just a preference of you like don't I just see what's wrong? Yeah. You know, um, and. Uh, I don't need to see that.
0: Mm. Well, I was, I was saying before we started this uh, that your voice just sounds far better than mine. And I was literally like five minutes before you walked in. I just finished listening to the the last episode of the Show. Oh. Um, this, if you haven't listened to the Show, do it right now. Just type in the Show. I couldn't stop laughing. The, the opening lines about the, the low information leader. Oh, yeah. Is that a real clip of Joe Biden? Yeah. He says, we
1: hold these truths... D- men and all men and women are crazy. You, well, you know the thing. You know the thing. You know the thing. When was this? This was uh, this past week. Wow. Yeah. If if you have not, I highly recommend googling Joe Biden leg hair. Why is that? Because there's a clip of Joe Biden talking about his leg hair. Good. That's uh. It's a thing. It's a thing. You know the thing. <laughs> you know
0: the thing. Um, especially in Australia right now. I, I can't imagine if Port Ferry Folk Festival was next weekend or the week after, I think it would be in very serious yeah. danger of being Yeah, we, of may have been,
1: we may have been at the last big event in Australia for a while.
0: It's in, like I don't know if you even know this, in the last half an hour, Coachella has been postponed mm-hmm. from April now in October. Mm-hmm. Are we taking this seriously?
1: I know Donald Trump apparently is not. Donald Trump is uh, coming out every day and whistling, don't worry, be happy, uh, and he's surrounded by uh, health, public health experts who are then trying to say, well, uh, yes, sir, but, uh, and then trying to correct him without getting fired. Okay. It's, uh, it's a really remarkably awkward situation that uh, they put on as a show every day. Um you know, you can't spend the first three years of your presidency uh, uh, shredding your your credibility and then get taken seriously at a time of uh, possible emergency. Mm. It's just, it ain't happening. Mm. Uh, and that's where he finds himself right now. He, it's, it's really clear that what he cares about... I mean, I, I find Donald Trump really easy to read. Uh, he's usually either projecting... Like accusing you of what he's doing, or he's doing misdirection, uh, like a magician. Look over here. Um, and all he really cares about in this situation, I think, is the stock market, because he's been bragging on the stock market for three years as it went up. Best market in the world, best, best economy we have a country has ever had. <laughs> and now, you know, the bottom's falling out. And so he's trying to talk up the market. Oh, it's not going to be so bad. It'll be a miracle. Everything people can get it, stay at home and get over this or even go to work with it. Yeah, he's recommending people go to work with coronavirus. Mm. Um so, you know, it's I think it's I never thought that uh he had a guarantee on winning re-election, but uh I also hadn't anticipated that the thing that was going to defeat him was a worldwide recession caused by a virus.
0: Yeah. Is there a method to his madness do you think or is he just a guy who is very lucky to get away with what he gets away He's with? He's
1: a bully. Right. He's a bully and a lot of people just go it's not worth it. It's not worth it fighting this. Fuck it. You know, yeah. let's let's go yeah. he. I mean his 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 method is um you know, he screws people who work for him. He doesn't pay his vendors. He sues on uh, on a whim uh and worries about it later. Uh, he's always um, fronted for stuff that wasn't what it's. I mean, Trump steaks were not the finest meat in the world. Believe it or not. Believe it or not. Uh, I know. I hope you're sitting down. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's been a. He was not a, an incredibly successful businessman. Incredibly successful businessmen don't go broke owning casinos four times. Um, he he's used. Tax breaks. He got. He used mob connections to get into the New York construction world, real estate world. Um, it's it's a <laughs> it's a bright and shining record. And truthfully, the only reason he's president of the United States is because a guy named Mark Burnett came along and created a character for him on The Apprentice, a character who was a successful businessman who wasn't mobbed up, who was thoughtful and judicious and, uh, and made decisions with information, but yet quickly. Uh, and that was the character he played for 10 years on American TV. And I had never seen it. My wife, Judith, and I were in London in uh, April of 2016, and we had nothing to do on a Saturday night, and BBC was showing old American episodes of The Apprentice. I said to Judith, let's watch one. And I saw this character that Mark Burnett had created for him, that he was playing, that he was in the heads of Americans for the past 10 years. And I, I realized, you can't fact-check this. This is a character that's in their heads and they believe that that's who he is. And that's when I started to think he might win this thing. So has he just carried that character over, you think, from The Apprentice? I don't think he works at it. No, I think that it's in people's heads and they read him through the filter of that. Yeah. Uh, No, I don't think he has the discipline to do that.
0: Do you think based on, I mean, we're what a year away from it, do you think he will be reelected?
1: I don't. Do predictions, yeah, and I don't go to the racetrack. Um, I think it's quite possible that the recession will uh, cut the rug, cut the floor out from under him. Because for people who aren't, there are two kinds of people who voted for for Trump, at least, but or two kinds of people who would vote for him again: uh, die-hard Trump fans who really have invested in, let's call it the cult. And you know the thing about cults i've I've spent a lot of time uh kind of looking at, at cults with some uh interest, not personal sure. i haven't joined one <laughs> I haven't, not yet i haven't started one <laughs> neither a neither a culter nor a cult e b um but it, cults seem to prosper by having a highly incredible a set of beliefs at their core, and which is revealed to you only slowly. I'm thinking of one in particular. Uh, and so by the time you realize what the deal is, you've put time and money into this and feel like a fool if you go, I have to get out, this is stupid. Mm. So you kind of double down and I think that's what's happening with the, with the Trump cult. They double down. If they find out he has shot somebody on Fifth Avenue, well, they deserved it. But there's this other group of people who I think may number more who are like the people who voted for Brexit in England, the people who voted for um, kind of right-wing populists in Hungary and Poland and the Philippines who just think the system has failed and after 2008. Uh, millions of people in America lost homes, millions of people in America lost jobs and the bankers who caused it got richer and more powerful and they just gave up on the system and I think those people have stuck with Trump because he's been able to say look at the economy, look how great it is Look, you never you never did, you never did, like this and if the bottom falls out that's going to sap their belief in, in him because he's no better than anybody else at running this thing.
0: Yeah. I mean, political satire is obviously very prominent in your comedy. Mm-hmm. And there's been a long-running debate about whether Trump's – because comedians or talk shows constantly talking about Trump in the lead-up to that election single-handedly helped him win that election.
1: No, I think what single-handedly helped him win that election is that uh, cable networks uh, went to his rallies live for enormous amounts of time. Right. So he's getting – Free airtime that every candidate would dream for, dream of. Uh, you know, here, have an hour of our airtime every couple of days for free, whereas other people are having to pay f- to get on the air. That was, I don't think, talking about him. I mean, look, I'm aware that every time we talk about him, we're doing exactly what he wants. Uh, but, you know, when he's running the country, you can't help it. Mm. But that gift of free live, unquestioned, uncriticized, unrebutted airtime that he was getting was a subsidy of his campaign of a massive amount and uh, probably was a violation of the election laws in the States, but nobody's bringing that point up.
0: Mm. I mean, I wonder what happens once he is done being president. Does he go back to reality shows? Does he go
1: back to beauty pageants? Does he try and stay relevant in the political? He goes back to court. Because the Southern District of New York uh, is preparing cases against him. Yeah, he he, he has a, the best reason ever to want to be reelected. Because if he's not, he's going to be doing some some court time, if not some jail time. Hmm. Uh, no, he's his life beyond is uh, not one to be envied. I don't think. Yeah, uh, I don't think you you see that uh, residences. Buildings in New York that are residential buildings, the residents have voted to take the name Trump off the buildings. Uh, most of his hotels are suffering a loss in business except the ones that he can force to have business to do with him that he forces them by intimidation or intimation to stay at his hotel in Washington or at Mar-a-Lago. But the normal business of Mar-a-Lago has gone down. There's, I don't even think he'll go back to steaks. Mm. He might go back to the best stakes in the world if he could get them, but not the stakes he I,
0: I always wonder, like, will pop culture embrace him? Like, remember when Sean Spicer resigned mm-hmm. and then he was doing Kimmel and Colbert and it's like these guys had just spent the last year
1: trashing this guy. But yeah. now that he's
0: done with Trump, it's like, oh, we can laugh about it.
1: Well, yeah, but I mean, Cole Wallace was the press secretary for George W. Bush telling the lies about WMD and now she's on MSNBC as a trusted anchor. Mm. I mean... American memories are so very short. <laughs> yeah. But, the, but for the guy at the top, who there re- literally are uh, legal actions being planned for, uh, pending his uh, diselection. Um, yeah. it's not going to be like that. He's not going to be... I think people will be very... Most Americans will be very glad to turn on the TV and not see or hear about him. Because as a narcissist... He does whatever he can to command your attention. And most Americans really resent having to pay that much attention to politics. They really don't want to. They want to concentrate on the the details of their lives. And, you know, I've elected you. You go do what you're supposed to do. I want to hear about you four years from now. Uh, This din, I think, is what um, most Americans would be very happy to be uh, through with. And, And maybe a... A hidden factor in how they cast their vote. It's just shut up already. Enough.
0: Yeah, I was watching this YouTube video of you. I think you were doing a, a, a in conversation at Oxford Union. Yes. And you um, discussed your distaste for politicians coming into comedy yeah. or comedians having to embrace politics. Yeah. And I think more specifically, it was about your time on SNL yeah. and having to to write comedy for these people, and they just don't work.
1: Well, I, A, I, I think people who don't have comedy talent should not be on t- comedy shows. That's a, that, I know Pretty that. standard. But worse yet, uh, I think a satire show, which is then bending over to serve a politician's desire to humanize his image, is, is uh, irretrievably corrupt. And we actually, when I was at SNL the second time, we uh, actually convinced the producer to stop. He said, this show gets ratings no matter what. You don't need guest hosts. Just let us do the show. And so the first episode of the year, uh, we were hostless. And by show three, uh, we were hosted by Jesse Jackson. And it was like, you know, okay, now... And he moves all his people in there. As, and it's Saturday Night Live as a branch office of Operation Push for the week because we, he can make free long-distance calls. Yeah. Um, that's a a very dramatic example of what the what the deal is. but every show that does that is the, you get somebody to get ratings and fill airtime, and you pay them back by humanizing their image and by taking the barbs out of your comedy when yeah. they're around. You know it's satire is best practice behind people's backs.
0: Do you think if SNL started tomorrow, like the idea I remember you've said that political satire wasn't really a big on SNL and you know now we have Kate McKinnon doing Hillary Clinton we have Alec Baldwin doing Trump do you think the current climate of SNL now your style of comedy would make more sense with it
1: Yeah I mean I the, the, the second time that I was there I was they, they said we want you for your political stuff and there were 3 weeks probably not consecutive where I was in Ronald Reagan makeup uh, at Showtime, and they killed the sketch uh, halfway through the show. Uh, uh, when I was there the first time, I was probably the only one on the writing staff regularly reading the papers and watching the news, and they were all doing quite uh, untopical humor, shall we sure. say, without casting any aspersions or casting any actors. Um So no, I felt very out of place there. It was like what's going on now, uh, in my opinion, should have been what was happening all along. Except it should have been, it should be, and should have been funnier.
0: Was it a fear of SNL worrying they were going to get backlash? Was it a matter of them just thinking
1: politics isn't funny? I have no idea. You know, you're you're acting as if things were discussed as between adults. That's not the way things work there. Um, In my experience. Uh, the way you get the attention of the people who run the show is to act out like a five-year-old. If, you know, That's why Belushi was setting fire to wastebaskets. Um, if you try to schedule a meeting with the producer to talk about things, uh, his technique is just t- to put the meeting on the schedule and then keep you waiting for three hours and hoping you'll go away.
0: Mm. So I imagine you're glad you're out of that SNL Oh my bubble. God.
1: Oh my God. Those were the... Worst, the first year especially, uh, my worst year in show business. Wow. Uh, maybe my worst year of my life.
0: Is it something you can still take off as a comedian and say, I did SNL? Well,
1: I don't do it, but other people do it yeah. in, in talking about me, so fine. You know, I don't care. Uh, it's. I mean, I did, I helped create and, and perform in one of the most um, frequently rerun sketches and frequently cited sketches in the history of the show, which is a sketch about male synchronized swimmers.
0: Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So,
1: you know, okay. Um, in terms of the amount of time I spent there and, and, and you know, there was one other sketch that I was part of, which gets mentioned and, and recognized a lot, which was, uh, uh, Mike Wallace, the, the 60 minutes interviewer doing a, a an investigation of, uh, defective novelty items. <laughs> um, you know, for the amount of time I spent there, two, two sketches that kind of linger or get re- rerun a lot is a pretty good percentage. You know, um, there are people who've been there for eight or nine years and haven't had that. So I'm okay with it, but I just, uh, I'll re experience it when I'm writing about it in my memoir. Uh, and uh, aside from that, you know, I, I don't think about it unless I'm asked. Yeah. Um, it, does, it does strike me peculiar. That these days the New York Times sees fit to do a uh, a, a kind of a precy of what happened on Saturday night last night in the Sunday paper, when you know when I was there they couldn't have cared less. Yeah. Um, so it's gotten it's gotten a kind of cachet that it didn't have back then. That back then it it's it's establishment now. It's part of the thing. Back then, it was still kind of a, uh, it fancied itself as uh, more a part of the counterculture than the culture. But, uh, and I'll, I'll hopefully end on, on that subject just by pointing out there's a reason that it stuck around so long. There's a reason that it existed in the first place. Uh, movie companies and beer companies really had no national place to advertise to their target audience on uh, on Saturdays. Neither of the other two network networks were programming late night on Saturday. And uh, this time slot was open because it was the rerun of the Johnny Carson Tonight Show. And uh, so they already had the time from the local stations. Um, and it has had, had no network competition for 40 years. Wow. It is, it's it's the monopoly on that.
0: Another thing you mentioned in that Oxford talk is you take the characters in your comedy very seriously. I mean, I don't know if you've realized in this room alone, there are some dolls of the spinal tap. There's a, excuse a, me,
1: they're action figures.
0: Action figures. Yeah, sorry. Correct. There's a, I think, is that signed as well behind you? The 93 American spinal tap tour. Uh, I mean, it's there. I don't know if I can, it's there. I, I can't see any signatures on no, it. No,
1: I don't think so. But yeah, you, you, take, and it says one louder on the front door.
0: Yes, correct. We're the one ladder officers. Bill yeah. is a big spinal tap fan. Uh, Politics in, in your Simpsons characters as well. I mean, obviously, there's been a, a controversy with the character of Pooh in the last 12 months. Mm-hmm. Do you guys, as as the Simpsons team, especially, what, thirty, I think the 31st season is about three episodes left. Mm-hmm. Uh, how has that conversation changed? I mean, you know, the very famous episode with Principal Skinner um, and Armand Tanzerian. I know mm-hmm. that you felt very strongly about that mm-hmm. and you kind of put it out there.
1: Yeah. No, I just said the audience has invested 12 years in this character. And it's a, it's saying a big "fu" to the audience to say, oh, that's not who he is. Um, that, that violates in my mind, the way I look at things, it violates the deal with the audience for no good reason. I mean, if there's this fabulous surprise and an incredibly funny thing, okay. Is an argument, but just to do it for the sake of guess what it's not, yeah. it. it's yeah. not him. We fooled you. And then of course the kind of mortifying walk back. Oh, that didn't happen
0: i hear matt as well says that's now one of his least favorite episodes i wonder is that because you were in his ear so much about it or at the time was he also
1: matt doesn't have much decision-making power at the show he right. never did uh so i wasn't in his ear about it no
0: do you remember your initial reaction when you first read that script yeah
1: i said exactly what i just said to you the audience has invested 12 years in this character they think they know him this violates that deal uh, the reason we stick around is because they know the characters and feel they know the characters. And when you just say, no, you don't, you don't know this character at all, uh, it's, it's sort of jejune.
0: I mean, that's one of the things I think you were asked about why The Simpsons has lasted so long and still remain relevant. I think that is because you stay true to the characters from yeah. episode one to now.
1: Well, you know, the actors in the show really feel protective of the characters. Uh, writers come and go uh they come across the mexican border in trucks now <laughs> um but uh but writers will come in and having grown up with these characters think that they're sometimes playthings. and w- as actors we tend to think of them as characters with lives and you know emotions and stuff and you have to to, to act them uh you know we we I think pretty universally regard ourselves as voice actors, not just voice talent, you know, doing a funny, making a noise, making funny noise. We're not doing that. We're, we're trying to, you know, when I, uh, the other time that I w- would pipe up is uh, a couple of writers would come in and, and have Flanders, thought it was funny to have Flanders make jokes where he takes the name of God or Jesus in vain. but that's not Ned that's not Ned and Mm. I'd say look I don't give a fuck but Ned wouldn't do that Uh, and it violates everything we know about Ned for the sake of a kind of a halfway joke Uh, it wasn't even for gold you know so
0: was the conversation about a poo a whole different thing or was that
1: yeah I mean I I, I have a really simple thing to say about that nobody asked me I wasn't involved in it uh, uh, so that's fine but when people do ask me in the, in the aftermath, um, all I can say is an actor's job is to play somebody they're not. Uh, and there's a big difference between representation, which means having people from every group hired as part of a show or a, produ- a production to give... The kind of input that would reflect a diversity of audience. That's representation. that seems important and legitimate. And depiction or uh, performance, which is the actor's job to play somebody he's not. You know, Everybody who's played King Lear has not been a medieval king., sure. <laughs> you know, to be, make a, a, a ludicrous comparison. but to, bulletin to audience, Tom Cruise is not a fighter pilot uh what yeah um you know so uh to me that's it's as simple as that
0: i mean you're protective of the characters how protective is that that core cast you know yourself hank yardley dan julie of the show itself like when these writers come like you know obviously early days like a conan o'brien comes in so i imagine now you're having young writers now are there times where you'll maybe see something that Homer is doing? And you're like, hang on, no, that is stupid. No,
1: Homer's not my business. Right. Uh, uh, and so uh, it's
0: particularly characters and your characters. Yeah. The
1: ones one performs. Uh, no, I, I wrote one uh, script for the show and then decided that's, that's not what I'm going to do with my precious time.
0: Uh, <laughs> I mean, you famously said you like having written. You don't like writing.
1: No, I love writing. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't like, I don't love writing. I love having written. That's it. That's the Oh, uh, Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I think, I mean, Chris is giving me the wind up. Ooh. So we might have to leave it there. Um, I do want to ask before we go, mm-hmm. uh, we are renewed for a 30-second season. Do you know anything about the future of Simpsons outside of the
1: 30-second? What I know is that the Walt Disney uh, Corporation uh, doesn't like to have its intellectual property lying uh unused and, un, un, exploited and sure and unproductive. So I'm assuming that uh, in some way, shape, or form, uh, there will be more Simpsons stuff.
0: Because well, I think there will be more predictions. I don't know if you know as well, the, apparently Simpsons predicted coronavirus as well. Have you seen that one? No. I think it's, uh, it was in episode 93 where Homer's is trying to get the juicer. And the, oh, I and heard about And someone coughs into the box, and uh, I think... Principal Skinner brings the box to his yeah. mother, and yeah. the green mist comes out. Yeah. Everyone's calling that coronavirus. I'm not sure if that's accurate.
1: I don't think they. they uh, call, I don't think they called it coronavirus. <laughs>
0: they did not call it coronavirus. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: Harry, thank you so much for coming by. I really appreciate My your pleasure. time. Do you know when you'll be back in the country? Any plans? I don't
1: know if I'm leaving the country. Oh, uh, good. No, I'm saying that uh, I, I would. Oh,
0: right. Okay. No, not good.
1: Yeah, not good at all. I wouldn't be surprised because I did get trapped here once before. Uh, I was here doing the panel uh at the time of 9 11 An- wow, okay. and anset had gone bankrupt and the u.s had clamped down on air travel into the country and i was and i say to people all the time you know there are a lot worse places to be stuck than melbourne australia but i was literally you know trapped here for like two and a half weeks wow uh, so my fear about that is based on <laughs> personal experience <laughs> sure so
0: when are you scheduled to leave
1: uh, next monday Okay. No, sorry, next Tuesday. Next we do Tuesday. the we do this show at the at the opera house. At the Steps. opera house, right? Yeah.
0: yeah. Are you doing it? Uh, what kind of show are you doing? Because I'm, I imagine it's not stand up, right?
1: No, it's not stand up. It's a it's a character dialogue.
0: Oh, great! Very good.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, Harry, thank you so much again. My good pleasure. luck with the Monday show, and uh, we'll you. see you very soon. Cool. Thanks. That's the episode. Thank you so much for listening to the Green Room Podcast, and if you like what you heard. Check out the Handshake Media Network on themusic.com.au to hear some of the other shows, including Matter of Faction and That Sucks. We'll see you all next week.